You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Hey, what's up? It's the Banners broadcast here on CelticsBlog.com. I'm Bobby Manning. You already have gotten to know me a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but... As I promised you in episode one, we have some more great writers over at Celtics Blog who we need to introduce you to, and we have the three-man panel back again for episode three. Welcome aboard. First, before we get going here, I know you guys were begging for it on Twitter. We finally have an iTunes stream, so if you head over to my account, you can find that now. Easy access to the podcast every single week. And from there on out, you got all your different options. Stitcher for your Android users, we're on there, we're on the CLNS app. And uh, we'll be on YouTube before long with our video stream right here. We're trying it out again this week. Hopefully we'll have it ready to go. So let's introduce you to our roundtable today. A couple of lawyers, our future lawyers, joining me today. Jeff Nooney and Alex Kungu over from the Celtics blog. Both of them are with us today. What is up, gentlemen? How's it going, man? Hey, guys. All right, there they are, and they're going to give you their hot, blazing opinions on Avery Bradley, that trade. So last time we spoke to you, or the audience, that is, it was me, it was Sean Penny. We were talking about the different options the Celtics had this offseason to dump that salary that they needed to in order to get Gordon Hayward in here. We still haven't officially seen Gordon Hayward in his Celtics uniform. We don't know if he's going to be number 20. We don't know what it's going to be. But the space is clear now thanks to the Avery Avery Bradley trade. Uh, He's off to the Detroit Pistons, as you know now. Marcus Morris is coming back to the Celtics. So we'll throw this one over to Jeff. What was your initial reaction to that trade? Were you happy Bradley was the one to go? I mean, it's tough, right, because I love Bradley, but I think he had to be the one to go. He just made the most sense. Uh, There's no way they're going to be able to pay him next summer and keep the flexibility to pay IT and everyone else. So it was tough to see him go, but I think he was the most logical choice, honestly. That's how most of Celtics Nation's feeling right now. I feel like just getting the Twitter vibe of it. People are upset that Bradley's gone. He made a lot of good impressions on everybody over seven years here. It felt like he got better every single year. 
I'm also feeling the angst on Jay Crowder. It feels like a lot of people want to get Jay Crowder up out of here. Alex, why do you think... It just doesn't feel like Celtics fans have embraced Jay Crowder since he got here. There always seems to have been a little tension between the two sides. Yeah, um, I think the Jay Crowder stuff is interesting. Um, really, I don't understand why people hate him, and I don't think it's, a lot of it has to do with basketball. If you ask me, I think... A lot of that started to change with um, two things. One, it was the whole Gordon Hayward episode where he kind of blasted fans for cheering on Gordon Hayward, even though that's just our way of recruiting. <laughs> but, you know, um, he didn't like that, and um, Celtics fans also didn't like his disappreciation of that. And um, also, I think kind of from, like, the natural perspective, like um, our local guy Bill Simmons has been pretty adamant about how much yeah. his dad doesn't like him, and he's always throwing out the shot selection is not good, even though he's a high 30% shooter, and but he is a little streaky. And I think um, those combinations kind of Boston is a very homey, like steady town. Like we like we want people that like want to be a part of this. And when you're on Twitter, basically like telling people like, oh, I can leave if I want to, like that's just <laughs> that that's just not gonna rub people the wrong way. So I think it really just has a lot to do with, like, outside factors. Because, I mean, as a basketball player, he's everything you want in a modern NBA forward, so. Yeah, and Jeff said it. It was it was the obvious choice. Bradley's coming up on a contract. I've said it all along. If you're going to be going in the tax territory, which is where the Celtics are heading now, they're capped out, they have their two max guys on here, you don't want Avery Bradley. It's, you know, we all love Avery Bradley. We love what he's doing at $9 million, wherever he's at right now, but... For $20 million, even $18 million, you're going in the tax on a guy like Bradley, especially with Isaiah being up next year too, Marcus Smart being up. It just would have been too much to pay all three of them. And Crowder, whatever you want to say about him, the contract is something you can't argue about. They have him on a brilliant contract, and hopefully he'll be here for years to come. If something blows him away, I have no problem with that. They can still make a move from here on out, it feels like. I don't think the roster is 100% set yet. It won't be until the season comes. But do you guys expect Crowder to be here on opening night? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's, like you said, it's going to take some crazy offer. And it's funny about the Gordon Hayward thing, too, because he balled out that game. <laughs> like, he was awesome when he was, you know, angry at everyone and, like, steen from uh, from all the, the Hayward love. So, yeah, I think he's going to be with us for a while. Yeah, I'm, I, I was at that game, actually. He's, I think he hit five, six threes in that <laughs> one. He went off. Hayward had a pretty decent game himself, but the Celtics did beat the Jazz twice last year, home and away. Uh, my big thing about that, I feel like people have jumped to a conclusion that Crowder was angry about Hayward specifically because he plays his position and he kind of saw Hayward as a threat like this guy's going to come in here take my spot I think that's the conclusion people jump to I think it's certainly reasonable that he just could have been upset as competitive a guy as he is that, that fans were chanting for an opposing player period or do you think there is something there that he did see him as a threat I would say the added context of that is um if you guys remember, after Kevin Durant picked the Warriors, I think it was either Sharab Blakely or one of those guys posted, um, uh, I, I think it was something about like potential small forwards that Celtics can go after. And there was like Durant on the list again. There was Hayward was also on that list. And Jay Crowder had actually quote tweeted that and had like a, made me like a laughing emoji or something like that. So I think that on top of the context of him, you know, attacking fans after that kind of gave, you know, people that idea that maybe it is something about, you know, guys coming and taking his position. 
Yeah, it's, it feels like you have to be on top of everything on social media now that you're covering this team, whether it's the emojis, whether it's who's following who. The, sh- the shade is unbelievable out there on Twitter, on Instagram. It's you got to be all on top of that. Speaking of uh, shade, Marcus Morris threw quite a bit of shade at I don't know who it was. I don't know who it was exactly that he um, and his brother, Markeith Morris, allegedly assaulted back a couple years ago when they were both playing for the Phoenix Suns. But they're standing trial for that pretty soon, it sounds like. Um, you guys are the lawyers, so i got to ask you about these, uh, this one. It sounds like they could be facing jail time. We kind of know how it goes with professional athletes. Usually it seems like they get the lighter sentences. But... Um, Suspension's what scares me here. I mean, it just doesn't. The situation did not sound good. Uh, Adam Silver to me seems like a big player conduct type, type guy. The union's pretty strong, but are you guys worried that Marcus Morris might be facing suspension as he arrives here in Boston? I mean, I think you have to be concerned, right? But without knowing all the facts and with how that case is going to turn out, it's hard to really put like a value on it, you know. But yeah, it's definitely. I mean. When's, you know, who's the last guy that's been suspended for off-court conduct? Can you remember? I, I don't know for sure. I know the last guy who probably got suspended for the Celtics was uh, Kelly O'Leary for a yeah, John exactly. incident. But uh, <laughs> that, that was some on-court beef right there. I, if, you, if we had to throw it back to for the Celtics or for the league in general, I can't, I can't place a finger on Alex. Do you remember anybody of late? suspended for player conduct in the NBA? I mean, we hear about it in the NFL all the time. I want to say, I, I, I feel like somebody, I think it was Joakim Noah, maybe? I think he took some ah, type yes, of... Ah, uh, yes, he had the drug yeah, suspension. Some type yeah. of drug suspension, yeah. Um, I would also add on to the Moore situation. Um, I don't know how much you guys have read about it. I've, I've been following it a little bit. Um, I don't. I think chances are this thing is going to end up in two ways. Either they're going to settle this and I'm not going to bore you with the legal jargon. Basically, they're, 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 they're either going to settle the case and they'll probably get a suspension, probably no more than 10 games, or they'll just settle this completely out of court, which in that case, they're not you know, saying they're guilty of anything and they'll just be under the rug. But I don't think jail time is really a serious issue for them. And by all accounts from people that I've talked to, like legal analysts, they also don't think this is something that's going to go to jail. It'll most likely be pled out, out of court or they can't come to an agreement it's it could lead to like a small suspension in the beginning of the year, but I don't think there's any long term effects for the Celtics. Yeah, I'm thinking five games, maybe something to that effect. Just I don't know. It does probably seem like a reason the Pistons dumped them off, especially for an uh, expiring contract like that. So I think there is a little bit of concern there. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Jail time's not something that worries me either. Just doesn't seem like the kind of offense that's going to throw him behind bars. So he'll be out there maybe after a couple games, but he will be out there. What do you, what's he going to bring to the team? I know he shoots a pretty solid percentage from three, which you always need on this team. Versatile defensively, can switch to a couple different positions. The rebound Rebounding's bad. I looked at the rebounding numbers. Four rebounds a game for a guy who's six nine. And you never like to see that, especially on a team that struggles to rebound to begin with. Does Moore strike you as a guy who might be in the starting lineup, Jeff? Uh, I think he's more going to be that kind of depth role, that guy you can bring off the bench, maybe situationally, uh, especially for his defense, like you said. We have a nice Q and A up on the blog now uh, from the guys uh, from the Pistons blog and. I mean, they talked about him matching up with the other team's top scorer and that kind of toughness. So I think that's going to be probably his best role as a kind of defensive guy. Maybe some transition points, too. <laughs> Maybe he'll settle the beef with Markeith Morris, <laughs> finally. 
that was a lot of tension there with the Wizards. I'm sure we haven't seen the end of the Wizards either. They just seem to get better and better now, especially as John Wall is coming into his form. We also have Aaron Baines arriving. I want to talk about him quite a bit on here because I don't think Morris is going to be starting either, as you said, Jeff. Baines strikes me as a guy who might start. We're wrapping up the Summer League right now. We still haven't seen Gershon Yabusele since last year. I always want to say Yabusele, but it's Yabusele specifically. But, um... Ante Zizek looks slow, a little sloppy at times out there. I don't think either of them are going to be ready for the starting lineup either. Jeff Clark said that on the site too, right when we knew that Zizek was going to be here. You don't want to throw him right into that starting lineup right away. So that's what it seems like Baines is here for. One year, mid-level exception. That's what the mid-level exception gets you now, I guess, is Baines. But I've read up a little bit on him too. The on-off numbers are pretty optimistic. The Pistons were a plus six with him on there this year. Minus 4.6 with him off the court. 98 defensive rating I read too in certain lineups that he was in as well. It's pretty interesting. I'd love to have a stopgap defensive guy in that starting lineup. Maybe push 10, 16, 20 minutes a night. Alex, what are you expecting? Is this going to be the starting center on uh, night one? How much of Baines have you seen and what are you expecting out of him? Yeah, um, as the signing, I watched a couple of games just to kind of get a feel of who he is. Um, in terms of starting lineup, I guess it can kind of go either way. This team is, yeah. you know, as deep as we've ever been. We might just start Horford at the five, but then also limit his minutes and play Bane a lot. We might just start Bane. I think his biggest role is going to be taking the, like, you know, limiting Al Horford's minutes at the five in the regular season and putting those guys on top of, like, the Martian Gortat and the Robin Lopez types. It's great for the Celtics finally just have a big that you could just you know, put on those type of guys. So a lot of the times they had success against the Celtics simply because our starting center was 6'9". So to finally have a guy that's like seven foot, has like the size, I think regardless of where you play him, his role is still going to be very similar as being a bruiser type, someone who gets up and down the court and probably rebound. I definitely like the signing. I definitely like the price. And I think regardless of whether he starts or not, um, he's definitely going to be a very welcomed addition to our front court. Yeah, what I like specifically to hear is that Stan Van Gundy was kind of frustrated that they lost him. To hear a guy, a coach, a GM, say that they didn't love to, the fact that they lost a the guy is always a good thing to hear. In fact, it's it's pretty interesting, the fact that they played better, at least the analytics go, that when he was out there in Detroit than they did with him off the court with Drummond on there. I think it was specifically a Drummond-Baines comparison that I saw head-to-head. But the numbers were just better when Baines was out there. But you can't really get a feel for it because he played so few minutes. I think it was 14 minutes a game he played last year in Detroit. He's a 30-year-old. He's got a funny haircut. <laughs> um, he loves ribs. That's all we know about him so far. Not a ton of on-court stuff to go off so far on him. So we'll see where he goes. I, I almost could feel like it will be an open competition for that center slot out there. And like you said, Alex, finally, finally, for the first time since 2013, it feels like guys are going to be able to get a night off on this team. How big is that going to be, Jeff? I mean, yeah, you talk about like having a, guy, a big that can go in there and just soak up the minutes, honestly, and kind of protect the rest of the guys from some of that wear and tear that they've seen. Mm-hmm. And Having that depth in the front court, I mean, we've definitely had like a log jam in the front court, but it was more guys like Kelly Olenek, Tyler Zeller, those types who aren't necessarily the big time like post defenders or anything like that. And so having a guy like Baines who can add that defense and uh, hopefully some rebounding, I think it's going to be a big addition. 
um, even if it's just limited minutes. Yeah, 11 points uh, per 36 minutes, 10 rebounds per 36 minutes. So we'll see where those stats go with probably a little more playing time in Boston, it would seem like, especially in spot starts. Just stepped up and down the lineup finally this year. Back two years ago, we saw Isaiah get banged up in the playoffs. Kelly Olynyk missed games. Jay Crowder was banged up. Even uh, Avery Bradley missed that whole series two years ago. And last year, Smart and Horford reportedly hurt. Thomas went down by the Eastern Conference Finals. So finally, that's just what I'm saying about this offseason. As great as it was, I think one of the more underrated storylines is that guys are just finally going to be able to take a night off on this team. It feels so good. And as we approach the middle of July, summer league's coming to a wrap. We're finally gotten to see some of those guys who might make the bottom of the roster. And those two-way contracts, it feels like they've come at the perfect time for the Celtics. The last couple of years, they've had to make tough decisions on guys. R.J. Hunter got sent packing last year after a tough summer league competition. But some of these guys are going to be able to stick around this year. It feels like there's two spots in particular on the bottom of the roster that are going to be able to be had by some of these second-round picks that they've brought up over the last two seasons. Who in particular has impressed you this summer league, Alex? Who do you think is deserving of a spot? Is it Semi? Is it Nader? Is it uh, some someone else? Yeah, I'm I'm much lower on Nader than the rest of Celtics Nation. Yeah. Um, I really don't know what people see in him, to be honest. But to answer your question, um, Shemi Ojale is definitely the guy. Um, I love his athleticism, even coming out of uh, SMU. He's huge for one, 240 pounds, six seven, good wingspan, and he's hyper athletic. And I think that body and that athleticism would translate very well as someone who can maybe even be a small ball four or even five defender. Um, his shooting is definitely legit, whether that's like, you know, spot up catch and shoots and stuff like that. He's someone that teams have to respect. You can't just leave him alone. So I think when you're talking about a second round pick or someone that's going to be like your, you know, like third or fourth guy off the bench, having that type of valuable skill set is something that I don't think the Celtics can just like look away from. I, I, I'm loving Nader a little bit. I, <laughs> I've been hyping him up a little bit these last two years. I kind of go easy on it just because we know what the summer league is. It's like an extension of the D league. These, these guys just have all the room they want. It's not tight competition. But I see him out there, not a lot of defense. The three-point shooting isn't there, but he puts his head down. He goes to the basket, and he has a nice touch with the left hand. None of these guys are going to be looking at a lot of minutes, but I feel like if you have to reach down to the bottom of the roster, pull a guy up one game, I feel like he might be able to give you 10 13 points maybe on a good night. That's what I see in Nader. That's what has me a little bit excited about him. I think he's earned a spot at the very least on the 15, maybe on a two-year deal, a uh, two-way deal that is. Jeff, who in particular has stuck out to you? Semi's getting a lot of love. Is there anybody else out there? Oh, man, I like Semi. I think he's, uh, I, think he, I mean, he fits the mold of what Ainge is looking for in wings, yeah. uh, that versatility. And, I mean, the shooting is legit, as we talked about. I think as far as that, it might just be like a situational thing, like who's who's hot, who's playing well down in Maine that can get called up. Um, I mean, you look at the game tonight, like even a guy like Jabari Bird getting to the rim, shooting. I mean, he's got some athleticism. And I think that's what's nice is you have all this competition now. Like the Red Claws are going to be like sneaky good. 
yeah, uh, with all they that always talent. Have been. Like, They've so, always had guys to lean back on down there in Maine, that's for sure. Yeah, and then plus, like, I mean, you don't even know what's coming from Yabasele yet. I mean, he I don't know that he's a given to be on the roster. I mean, I know we're all planning for it, but depending on how long that adjustment takes, there might be room for some of those guys to steal a roster spot for a couple months. Yabusele tore up Maine, that's for sure. We saw him do some crazy things up there for part of last season. James Young tore it up up there, but the guy who in particular just told me to hold it back for forever on the second round, guys, is Jordan Mickey. Jordan Mickey just looked like such a steal, (laughs) such a steal in the second round. He was blocking shots left and right in the D-League, throwing down on guys. He had 20-point games left and right. When he just came to the NBA, he was so lost every single game. He never, ever, ever was able to carve out a spot out there. And he kind of more than anyone is the sign that if you're not going to shoot at all, you're probably not going to get minutes from Brad Stevens down low there. So Jordan and Mickey were probably saying goodbye to him this offseason. Zizek. Uh, one of the more recent news we got this week was that um, Stevens confirmed what we kind of thought in the back of our heads is that Zizek was just worn out this summer league. Even seemed to be hinting at some second guesses of even playing him just with how long of a season he had over there in Europe. He was slow. That more than anything stuck out to me. In the first game, I thought he had a nice few bursts around the rim. But from there on out, it just got slower and slower, getting back in transition. Are you worried... Alex, are you just taking Stevens for his word that he's just a little bit worn out? Yeah, I'm gonna listen to Coach Stevens when he says it. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna disagree with Coach Stevens. And I mean, just Strategy. if you think about it, you know, in terms of just like he's coming down from a long season in Europe, there's also the language barrier, there's also the the body clock. Um, it's also a different game. He started in Utah with that high altitude. It sounds like you're making a bunch of excuses, but like in reality, like all those things matter. Yeah. For a guy who's a rookie and has never even played in this level of competition before, so I think we'll see like as kind of like the summer league progresses, he'll he'll get a little more and more better, and I do think um, he'll I still think he'll have a role on this team, maybe not as big as maybe like someone like me who thought maybe he can maybe get like 15, 20 minutes a game, maybe that has gone maybe down to like eight to twelve maybe, yeah. but um, I don't think this is like him at his peak. I think this is just like him adjusting, and I do think he'll get better. The minutes are going to be hard to come by on this squad. It is a packed roster. You look at the guys up and down this roster right now. It's going to be tight. The only guys who are given for 30-plus minutes right now feels like are Horford, Thomas, Smart even. From there on out, it's going to be a battle. Jay Crowder might even eclipse that. We'll see, though. But it's just really hard to envision a solid starting lineup for this team right now. I said it a few minutes before we came on here. That hole at the two, there hasn't been a hole there since, like, 2013. And now they got to figure out what they're doing right there next to Thomas, which is a very big decision. Bradley, for all his defensive claim, ate a lot of the defense that got thrown at Isaiah Thomas. So they that's no small task is replacing that two spot right there. The five... Is a Horford? Is it one of the bigs rotating in there? We could even be looking at a starting lineup by committee on this team next year, which wouldn't surprise me at all with Stevens. On a night-to-night basis, they could be looking at different matchups that ask for different guys. They might go small some nights. It just feels like there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching this year, which kind of worries me on one hand. Like It's taken this team a little bit of time to get into their stride under Brad Stevens, it felt like, with some of the mix- mixing and matching they've done over the last couple of years. And now, 
very new look roster coming their way this year. As much talent as there is, it's different, which is always an adjustment when there's different guys. So we're going to do a little roundtable debate right now, as we like to do. What is going to be that starting lineup on opening night if you have to look forward into the future, Alex? Um, I think, actually, because this lineup is so versatile and there's some different options, I think Stevens really has to be firm with who his guys are and maybe rotate maybe like one spot only. So I would go with the guys who've been here the longest and, of course, with Hayward as well. So I would go Isaiah Thomas, um, Jay Crowder, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford. And from there, based on the matchups, is who I would, you know, start. So if if, if we're playing a very good point guard, maybe I'd go Marcus Smart. If we're playing maybe uh, like the Raptors and have to go against DeMar DeRozan, I would play Jalen Brown. If we're going against someone like maybe bigger, like an Andre Drummond, then I'd go Baines. But I would always keep the core four starting all the time and only substitute one one place based on matchups. It's a good way to do it. Jeff, do you have any other ideas? Uh, yeah, I'd kind of like to see Jalen get some early run at that two spot and see I if like he can it. handle it. I think his size would be huge uh, playing next to Isaiah because, I mean, like you said, as good as Bradley was, He's, he's small, too, I mean, as far as, like, height. And so going around those screens, it's tough when you're too – when your backcourt is that little. So I think that would be huge if they could get him some reps. And then as far as, like, who to fill out the rest, I mean, if – if Crowder can handle the uh, the load at the four, that would be awesome. Yeah, I love the idea of Crowder at the four. When Hayward came here, I said all along, keep Crowder. It's positionless basketball. Crowder played a ton of four last year. He can handle it. That's where he thrives in the playoffs. He's going to get plenty of run at the four this year. But I think that two spot just intrigues me so much because when it comes to Smart – Offensively, you want him on the bench. He makes that bench unit run. He's a playmaker. He's probably the second best playmaker on the team besides Thomas. But defensively, you want him in the starting lineup. Protecting Isaiah is going to be one of the foremost concerns of the starting lineup this year. And no one's more important to that than Smart. You don't have a rim protector to get behind Thomas, or a true rim protector, that is. Horford helps a little bit with the help at times. But when it just comes to making good switches, or even preventing switches, which is Smart's best skill set is breaking through the screens, he's crucial in that starting lineup. But then I think you lose a little bit of your creation on the bench. And that comes in the question... Terry Roger, is he ready to lead that second unit if they pull Smart up, or can he develop into that over the course of the season? Because I think that's key. If you're going to start Smart, someone's going to be making plays in the second unit. I'm a big Rozier guy, uh, like, in some respects. Like, I love his athleticism, but, like, my God, that dude has to be able to finish at the rim because (laughs) right now it's, like, a disaster. That's a concern, too. There's big holes in this guy's game as, as good as he is. Yeah, I mean, like, he shows those flashes, like, I mean, he'll snag a rebound and then just go coast to coast, like, in a few dribbles, and, you know, I mean, he can dunk, too, which is the weirdest part, like, I mean, he can throw it down when he needs to, but I think he'll put it together, and, I mean, he's a huge, if he can, he's a huge asset, because he's still cost-controlled on that rookie deal, I'm glad they and so, if he can handle that bench unit, that would be, that'd be great, honestly. Alex, do you see Smart as a starter or as a bench guy mostly? Um, I see him as a bench guy because I don't have any faith in Terry Rozier running an offense. Yeah. Um, personally, Where I like, am too. He, he hasn't really shown anything yet. And that's not to say he can't eventually turn into that. He is an athlete, as Jeff noted. Um, he has shown ability to get to the rim 
you know, like, and his shot does come and go, but I do think his shot will be a lot better than what he showed last year. But ultimately, like, I just can't, like, on a team with the type of expectations that we have, I don't trust him running the second unit at all. So yeah. because of that, I would want to put Sprout on the bench. And a year ago, we were waving the Roger flag with the way he played in that summer league. Monster numbers last summer. <laughs> it just didn't translate. It was weird. His big summer, awful regular season. He took a step back regular season, I felt like. And then the playoffs, he was back again. Great playoff minutes from Roger. But still, not a guy you can trust with the ball in his hands. That two spot... As much as I was in favor of training Bradley, it's going to be a challenge for them this year. Hayward can play that in positionalist basketball, I think, as Alex noted out in his lineup. But uh, not a plus defender. I feel like he's just a neutral defender, a guy who's capable on that end. Doesn't give you a whole lot to work with there when it comes to helping Isaiah. And helping Isaiah is sort of the crux of keeping this unit together as a team you need a guy who can kind of bite some of the bullets there and that's smart to me but unfortunately like Alex said you don't want a bench that can't do anything especially over the course of a regular season benches are important in the regular season smart's got to continue to lead that in my mind so I'm I'm, I'm agreeing with Jeff right here. I throw Brown at that two, see where he can grow defensively, because I think he has the physical tools to be a good defender at that two spot. We just need to see him put it together with more minutes, more opportunity. So I go Isaiah, Brown, Hayward, Crowder, and Horford on most nights. Bigger nights where rebounding is more a necessity. You want to give Horford a little bit of a rest, throw Baines in there to start it off. That's probably what they will do to begin with is throw Baines in there. I just can't see him being here for any other reason than being a starter to start these games. So that's where I am. You've heard where these guys are. Let's see where the fans are. As you know, on the Celtics blog, banner broadcast, we give you a voice here. You can call us every single week at 978-595-1744 and leave your voicemails with us. We'll listen to them live here on the air. And these guys are going to rip them to shreds in just one minute. Let's get the first one up right here, right now. Hey, guys. Uh, So I'm calling. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited about the Gordon Hayward signing. But I think that what helped us a lot last year for the team was the depth that we had coming off the bench. And now that we've lost Olenek, Amir, and Avery, uh, I can't help but be a little concerned that the lack of depth might help us, might take us back a step this year. Uh, I'm interested to see what your take is on that. Thanks, guys. All right, Alex. So we got a caller right here asking about the depth on this team. I think they're pretty deep. I think his concern is just a lot of the familiar faces you saw as part of this team's depth that gone. And that's what my worry is in that respect is – Some of the guys who were part of the core of this team and the plan of this team are gone. It's going to be different, and I think that's going to require an adjustment period. But is the depth a concern to you? Do you think the bench could be facing struggles this year? Depth is not a concern to me as much because I look at this team and how I'm judging them is what they can do in the playoffs. And honestly, in the playoffs, this comes down to you're, you're playing your best maybe eight, nine guys anyway. So... I don't think in the regular season be that big of a deal because we do have so much wings and so much like lot of like versatility. And then the playoffs, it's all about having that stark talent, which is why you get a Gordon Hayward at the sacrifice of those type of guys because that's what matters when you're in the playoffs. All right, Jeff, we'll throw this one to you. Any in- interest in Andrew Bogut? Probably a better rim protector than anyone on the roster right now. 
So there's been a lot of talk about Bogut the last two years around this team. I was I was for it last year. They signed Bain, so I don't really even think there's any room for him right now, especially that's probably the role he'd be playing. But if we're throwing it back and looking back before they signed Baines, would Bogut have been a guy you had any interest in? I'm a hard no on there. He signed with the Cavs and just broke in half. That's that's kind of where I am. I think he's broken at this point. How do how do you feel about Bogut? Yeah, I mean, like if he's willing to sign for the vet minimum, you know, maybe take a flyer on him, especially if Zizic doesn't look ready to go. But I mean, he's he's had a lot of weird injuries over the years, and now he's just. I think he might be cooked. Yeah, I, mean, I just don't see it. I'm not a doctor, but it just feels like these guys who get injured a lot early in their career just keep getting hurt again and again, and Bogut's a prime example of that. It's just, the fact that injuries have always been such a concern with him, and then nine seconds into his Cavaliers career, he has that broken leg. It's just There's something uncanny about it. Guys with injury concerns, you always got to be worried, and if you give a guy like that a role on the team and he gets hurt again, I just feel like it inherently hurts you no matter how important he was on that squad no matter how little money you give him if you give a guy a role and he's gone I just feel like it always hurts a team so no bogey no thanks so here's another one for Alex all right so my question is you trade Bradley to Detroit for Morris I mean Detroit's going nowhere is there any possibility that Drummond could have been in the talks there and maybe you bundle Bradley Crowder you know, a couple first-round picks, maybe even smart in there. Well, what's your take on that? Was, was that even a possibility? Thanks. He's asking about uh, Drummond, a popular Celtics target on Twitter. Uh, given the fact that the Celtics did end up making a trade with Detroit, we heard about Marcus Gasol, who I think is in similar money territory as Andre Drummond. If you want to package smart, Crowder, Bradley, which is what Kevin O'Connor suggested on uh, Twitter about a week ago, that could probably make it work for Andre Drummond, but I don't know. How do you feel about Drummond, Alex? He's been a popular Celtics guy, and I get the connection because he's a guy who hauls in rebounds, and this team has just had so much trouble with rebounds for my whole life, it feels like. I, I've never watched a Celtics team in my life that's rebounded well, so I can get the hunger for that, but I'm not the biggest Drummond guy. How do you feel about him, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think people realize that the type of package it would take to get Drummond Massive, would, yeah. then, would, then, would then lead the Celtics with no type of versatility at all, which is the type of play that Stevens wants. And something to note with Drummond and in Detroit is that Aaron Baines actually closed a lot of those games for them. Yeah. His, 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 his free throws are a serious issue. His defense had, wanes. It goes on and off a lot. He's not the rim protector that you see on the highlights like he's not really as he hasn't really developed as much as Detroit's thought which is a reason why he's even in these type of trade talk possibilities so I wouldn't be a fan of trading Drummond for that type of cost yeah. and I don't think the Celtics need to do that either and that's what's a killer on Drummond is the fact that he's making over 20 million dollars a year they gave him a crazy contract out there and that's why I feel so good about where the Celtics are right now because you see a lot of these teams coming up they give contracts to these guys who don't deserve it. And it's it's tough to criticize guys for making their money, but on the team end, you got to make smart personnel decisions when you're dishing out that money in a league that has a cap. 
And Drummond's limitations are massive. Like you said, the defense comes and goes. You look at the difference between Drummond and Baines, the biggest one is that free throw percentage. Last year, Baines shot 80% from the line, Drummond 38%. And that is such a massive haul on a team. No matter how good a guy like Drummond is playing, to have a guy out there who you can throw on the line and almost guarantee a miss from is huge for the competition and a massive limitation on your roster. You don't want to have a guy that you have to pull off. Drum uh, Jordan, we saw those problems with him out in L.A. It limits teams big time. It pulls them back in the final minutes of those games. And Stevens, I think Stevens more than anyone would hate that idea, having a limitation like that in the final minutes of the game. And like you said, it would require a massive package just to make the money work. And then I feel like you're a worse team. So we're no on Drummond across the board, I think. Jeff... Last voicemail, we'll throw it over to you, and I think it's a good one for you. Hi, Logan here. Question is, how soon do you think Jason Tatum takes Jalen Brown's starting role in the next upcoming two to three seasons? So he's asking about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown when it comes to starting. Which one of those two, I don't, I don't like the way he asked it, so I'm going to ask it a different <laughs> way. I'm just going <laughs> to manipulate our caller's words here. Which one of those two do you think breaks into the starting lineup faster? So I think right now, when you look at the makeup of the roster, it's going to be Jalen, just because of that defensive potential first off, because right now you've got IT and Hayward who are score first, uh, I mean, extremely talented offensive players. And so, I mean, that's a great skill that Tatum has, but I think it might be a little more valuable to have that versatile wing defender to go out there in the starting lineup. Alex, how do you feel? Um, yeah, as, as of right now, um, I think the acquisition of uh, Gordon Hayward definitely puts um, the need for another versatile wing defender like Jalen Brown. Um, it is it is worth noting that Brad Stevens was very uh, – he, he did have a lot of nice things to say about Jason Tatum's defense, but but the type of defensive role that we'll, be, that we'll need from either of them – it's more so guarding, you know, guards like ones and twos. And I think right now Jalen Brown is better equipped for that. So he would most likely get to start before Jason Tatum. Yeah, no doubt. And as we talked about with the smart conversation, you need smarts offense on that second unit. Last year we saw Brown thrive, it felt like, when he was in that unit with more creation for him, more room to operate. There was points last year where it felt like Brown deserved to start. Tatum, we got to see what he brings to the table. Rookie year, there's bumps, there's skids. We saw it with Brown. They're going to be tough on him if it's anything like the way they treated Brown. When he makes mistakes, they're going to pull him out of there. So I think Tatum has to go through that whole rookie ride. Brown's learned a lot playing two summer leagues, going to the playoffs already. Tatum's, I mean... You go back a year and a half, Tatum's in high school, so as great as he looks right now, he's got a little bit of a way to go before he hits that starting lineup, and I'm one of the top Tatum guys. What's interesting, and we're going to hit on it next week for sure here, is the way this team scraps together a defense. No true rim protector, you lost Bradley. I'm going to leave that as a little bit of a tease for next week, but like I said... 978-595-1744. We love to take your voicemails here on the Banners broadcast. We'll have this for you across every outlet before long. But for now, Stitcher, 
um, CLNS app, iTunes, like I said. Subscribe to us on there. Whatever you need, hit me on Twitter at RealBobManning. Thanks to our two guests today, bringing the legal advice, bringing the good analysis, Jeff Nooney, Alex Kungu. Why don't you guys tell them where they can find you on Twitter? Oh, you can find me at, at Jeff Nooney. And Alex? And for me, that is um, Kungu underscore NBA. So that's K-U-N-G-U underscore NBA. All right, I'm Bobby Manning for all the team at Celtics blog. A Q&A up there about the two newest Celtics, Marcus Morris and Baines. You can check that out learn a little bit about the two guys. I didn't like the sound of Baines as a guy with bad hands. I hate, can't stand guys who can't catch the ball. So good stuff right there up on the blog. I'm Bobby Manning. We'll see you next week, every Wednesday here on the Banners Broadcast. Peace. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Welcome.